My name is Maya Deary. The Waves to Wisdom interviews emerged from an exploration into a world I discovered when I learned to surf at midlife. Some of these conversations aren't necessarily with people we instantly recognize as leaders, but they all lead in a direction I've benefited so much from I couldn't help but try to share. The people in these interviews seem to me to have wisdom practices centered on their relationship to the more than human world, to what we usually think of as nature. Surfing proved first revelatory, then revolutionary in my own life. When I began following the waves and started a ritual of returning to an edge, the edge of the continent, the edge of my capacity, the edge of my comfort, I realized my vision for my life had been hampered by some artificial barriers. Slowly, with each wave and wipeout, those barriers in my brain and heart and body began to dissolve. And I started to wonder, what if we all had a nature-based practice that cracked us open, made us more creative, more playful? What if we all practiced vulnerability, risk, and failure on a daily basis and had fun doing it? Wouldn't it make our lives better? Might it lead us to the places it feels like in this moment of planetary peril we desperately need to go? Whether you find full-bodied and big-hearted connection through waves or walking or digging in the dirt, I hope these conversations are useful in your own journey of re-inhabiting your life with renewed joy, deep engagement, and increasing wisdom. You're always evolving, but at some point you have to discover your true essence, who you are. I'm Maureen and I'm a surfer and that's who I've always been. And for most of us as older transitioners, who've been through what we've been through. We don't want to see younger kids struggle the way we did. We want to allow the younger trans population to experience themselves early. But for most of us older transitioners, you reach a point where it's transition or die. Surfer, photographer, healthcare worker Maureen McNamara and I spent a couple of very chilly days surfing and exploring the rocky, intricate, beautiful Maine coastline. Everything my body was experiencing, from the winter wetsuit to the big fat white snowflakes falling into dark water, grayed by a heavy clouded sky, all of this was a total non sequitur to what my calendar said, that we were well into the spring of the year. As strange and alien as these days felt to me, Marine was in intimately familiar territory. Every time we drove around a cove and she told me what to expect, I was struck by how her exhaustive knowledge of her place was both product and producer of her nearly lifelong surfing practice. As is the case with so many of us who are dependent on activity in the more than human world, Marine credits her surfing habit with saving her life. What I found unique and inspiring was the role surfing played and continues to play as she recounts the story of how, midway through the journey of our life, Maureen found the strength and courage to finally confront the fear that had kept her from honoring her fundamental nature. Welcome to Waves to Wisdom. We usually start, if you could tell us your name, your age, and how long you've been surfing. Um, well, my name is Maureen McNamara. Um, my nickname is Mo. People call me either Maureen or Mo. What was the other question? <laughs> my age, 60, and I've been surfing for 45 years now. 45 years, okay. And we just had uh, really quite a, uh, a spectacular surf. Will you talk a little bit about where we are and what we just did? Uh, well, this is Gooch's Beach um, in Kennebunkport, Maine. Um, and it's uh, it's early May and snowing. Actually, I think it just stopped snowing, but it's it's not warm. <laughs> well, as I said a few minutes ago, um, it's a little bit colder than normal this time of year, but it's not unheard of to have this sort of weather in May in Maine. Michael Coleman, who was uh, the subject of a podcast, recommended that I interview you. And he thought that you were a particularly inspiring and, uh, and courageous surfer. Will you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, I started surfing in 1974. We used to vacation in Agunquit. Uh, my family would rent a cottage um, right on the Agunquit River, and we'd paddle across or walk across at low tide to the beach. And 
we'd go surfing every day, all day. And mostly it was at summers at first because at the time we were living in Washington, D.C., my dad was stationed at the Pentagon, and um, we moved back into this area when my dad retired, and um, that's when I started surfing year-round. It's quite a bit different in the off-season as opposed to the summer season. Um, the surf is much better, um, but it's also very cold, as you discovered today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Talk a little bit about your relationship with your surfboards. Well... I told you yesterday how I had this instant reaction after seeing The Endless Summer, which is what got me um, wanting to surf when I was very young, probably seven or eight years old. I can't remember exactly. And it was a similar similar situation with shaping surfboards. I surfed that first year, that summer of 74, and I just got it into my head all through the winter reading Surfer Magazine, Surfing Magazine with the two big magazines at the time. So I just, I don't know what it was. I just had to make a board. So the next summer we came back in 75 and I convinced the local surf shop owner to um, order me a blank and some resin and supplies. He thought I was crazy because nobody did that around here. Um, and I bought a little book that detailed the process from start to finish. And um, I went out into the um, garage and I built my first surfboard, dripped resin all over the floor, which is probably still there on the rented cottage that we were at. Uh, it had a blue tint. I made all sorts of mistakes with the glassing, but the shape came out pretty nice. And I've been making my boards ever since. Um, it was just something I was drawn to. Um, I guess, in a way, I've always been independent and I like to do things myself, even though I stumble and bumble my way through it. I like to do things independently and learn things. I take the hard way, the long way, but I think it's part of the process of, you know, learning, you know, something new that, that attracts me. Yes, I, anybody who surfs year-round in Maine clearly is, is familiar with the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I had a natural eye for shaping. Um, there's so much technical detail that goes into it. It took me a long time, a lot of trial and error. Back before the internet, we didn't have all the information that you have now. And once information became available on the internet um, probably 20 years ago, I discovered all the mistakes I'd been making and how to correct them, um, which was another part of the learning process. And, and now I'm pretty happy with the way my boards turn out and I know what works, especially in this area. I know what works and what doesn't work and I have very strong opinions about it at this stage of my life. Um, I will often kind of cringe when I see the boards that people are riding because to my opinion, they're not really suited to the conditions uh, and or the ability levels of a lot of the surfers that I see. Interesting. So it's, it's a different kind of local knowledge then that goes with yeah. that technical know-how. Yeah. Um, you know, we went through a real stagnant period in the 90s where everybody was trying to ride the same boards that Kelly Slater was riding. And it didn't work for most surfers because 99.9% .9 of the surfers are not Kelly Slater or anything approaching his ability people were riding the wrong boards too too short too thin too narrow and now it's it's kind of cool to be a surfboard designer shaper builder because we're back into that free expression experimental mode which coming right out of the longboard era and into the shortboard revolution there was a lot of experimentation and for some reason people got away from that mostly when competition surfing came in in the mid-70s late 70s um, and then it all became contest-oriented, and everybody was trying to build boards for contest surfing and surf in that contest way. And I never was aligned with that. Um, for me, surfing is not about competition. Um, okay, so the driving hypothesis of these interviews is my experience that for a certain subset of surfers, that surfing helps us make sense of our lives, that it really um, grounds us and gives us a, a kind of a, a reason for being, um, helps us make sense of adversity and challenges and the, the difficulties that come into life. Um, do you think I'm onto something? Is that a reasonable oh, hypothesis? Definitely, definitely. I listened to your interview with Mike, um, last night um, and um, I was moved by it in, in certain places. It was nice memories of an old friend that I'd lost touch with, but also some of the things that 
you talked about with him and his wife resonated and definitely um, you are on to something because I've always felt that way. Um, I think I mentioned to you yesterday how I grew up in a, an environment and a family who kind of trivialized surfing and my involvement with it. Surfing can be whatever you want it to be. It can be as little or as, or as much as you want it to be. It, for me, like I said, I had that visceral connection with it the first time I saw The Endless Summer when I was seven, eight years old. I knew, I looked at the screen, I said, I have to do that, I have to do that. And it took me a few more years before I was able to buy my own board, because my parents certainly weren't going to buy boards for us. And everything I did met resistance at every step of the way. And to me, it was just so powerful connection that I had with the, the ocean, uh, the sensations of riding a wave, everything encompassing it that I knew it was, I was on to something. And I think surfing, you live in the moment with surfing and you have to. I mean, we were just out there now and you caught a wave right off and it was, you know, kind of a, not a death-defying wave. It was kind of a mellow wave and you had a nice introduction to the bunk and main surfing. And then a little bit later, a set came in and caught both of us and kind of, we took a, few waves on the head. A few very cold waves. <laughs> and that's what surfing is. You know, it'll humble you. It'll excite you. It'll invigorate you. It'll rejuvenate you. But sometimes you get, you get a few waves on the head and you get very cold and you get tumbled underwater. And it's just, it, it gives you a connection to not only the natural world, but I think our spiritual, um, soulful world that too many of us try and disconnect from, I think. Um, we spend a lot of time pursuing things that aren't really important. You know, I work in a nursing facility as a nursing assistant and dealing with people who are at, you know, end of life and they have lots of regrets and things that they wish they had done. And, and I always felt like, why do we spend all our time pursuing things that aren't really that important? You know, if you want want to do things, do them. You know, get out there and do it. It doesn't have to be surfing. There's many other things that you can do, but first find a passion and then pursue it, you know. I was telling uh, my wife Jess um, last night that it's a different way of life. All the surfers I know, they structure their whole life, their whole day around prospects for surf or if there is surf they're going surfing and how and it's not that they're all a bunch of lazy dropouts but they've structured their life so they have time every day to go paddle out and catch a wave or two and experience um, everything that surfing has to offer um, surfers you go by the rhythm of the tides and the winds and and it gives you that tune into the natural the natural order of things rather than the um, human man-made order It's of one of the things that I love most about surfing is that the ocean is always in charge, uh, in charge of your schedule, in, in charge of what kind of time you have and uh, how many rides you get, all of it. Yeah, I, I mentioned yesterday about how I feel in, in our culture, our Western culture specifically, that we've gotten away, um, we have roots in that, uh, much like Eastern cultures or, you know, indigenous cultures of North America, South America, Australia. And for some reason in Western culture, we seem to have disconnected and gotten away from that. But even though we have roots there as well, as all peoples do, I think. You talked um, a little bit about your Celtic and, yeah. and Scandinavian heritage. Well, it, you know, I, I'm part Irish, part Swedish. And, you know, just knowing the little bit that I do about my my heritage, my ancestry, I know that there's that same connection to the land, the earth, the sea, the air. And I'm shivering and, and hyperventilating a little bit right now because I'm still chilly. But um, but yeah, we have a connection that we we try and divorce ourselves from it. And we, we insulate ourselves in buildings and, and cars that have heat and you know, we don't experience being out in the main uh, water when it's 40 degree water and 40 degree air and it's, it's cold and windy. And is that really the essence of 
what what our lives are supposed to be you know it's an insulation and it's um it's not real and you know i struggled a long time with people telling me that surfing wasn't real and i'm like it doesn't get any more real than that and that's the essence, I think. That's always been the essence to it's, me. It's one of the things I love the most about surfing is that all biological life in, in some ways is a collaboration with water. It doesn't work. Life doesn't work without water mm -hmm. as its fundamental material. And uh, we, most of the time in this culture, don't think about that. But when you're surfing, you are in a conscious collaboration with water. And water is always in charge. Yes. And I love the way it, it reminds me, um, helps me remember, as opposed to feeling dismembered, helps me remember how much my life is, uh, is literally this continuation of other lives. I am part of this stream of life and of water that just keeps cycling around. And, it really is a powerful, it's a powerful metaphor and fact at the same time. Yeah. You know, I can remember days surfing in the middle of the winter, and I look at the bluffs and the snow on the bluffs, and snow pellets coming down, and it's cold and it's windy, and you're out there. Maybe you're out there on, on a solo session, and I'm like, I'm living an experience that most people will never experience. And how tragic is that, that they don't, they don't get this essence of our connection to our natural world, and in this case specifically the ocean. We have this experience called life, and we're here for a very short time working in the, in the healthcare field that I do. It's driven home every, every shift I pull, um, how limited and how precious our time is. And I just turned 60 years old this year, and I look back, and my life was an eye blink. And I'm, I'm, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning. And I feel blessed to have had surfing as a passion, because I think it's taught me so much. Um, it's given me that spiritual, soulful connection to what the life experience is. Um, I'm not rich. <laughs> I'm not, um, I haven't traveled much like a lot of my surfing friends will travel to surf. I haven't had the fortune to do that. I, I used to, I used to um, lament and, and become very depressed that I would watch all my friends going off to exotic locations, Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, Australia, Sri Lanka, all these places all around the world, which has always been some of my dream, but I haven't had the opportunity for various reasons, and and yet I am intimately connected to this little corner of the world. I know every grain of sand and rock and pebble and turn of the coastline in this area from Fortune's Rock to Hampton Beach um, down in New Hampshire. And this is my little corner of the universe, and I know it as well as a periwinkle crawling around a tide pool knows their little tide pool. And it may be a very small little tide pool, but in that small little world, there's still so much to see. So much, especially in this area. There's so much variety in the coast here. Yeah, and, and it's constantly changing. That's another aspect of it. You know, what you see now, is not what you see in February. You know, yes, it was cold today, but there's a whole nother level of cold that, you know, I have no is, desire not, to is not apparent today. <laughs> um, I told you yesterday about surfing uh, on a day when the water was 36 degrees and uh. the air was down in single digits and, and the wind chill was in negative um, numbers. And I sat there watching it and the waves were just flawless at, at the river mouth my home break and I watched it for about an hour and I kept thinking how cold it was and I would be out by myself and then I finally had to say you have to go out I mean you have to experience that experience of being in that cold of being alone out there and I did I paddled out by the time I got out there was a couple other surfers uh, suiting up to go out um, so I wasn't completely alone, but for the first wave I caught, I was by myself. 
and I just had this flawless wave that went on for about two or three hundred yards. It just kept going. And I had that experience and I only caught three waves and every one of them was, you know, one of the best three waves of my life. Um, I don't know. I've lived with cold my whole life. I think that maybe there's something in my DNA being Irish, um, Swedish, Scandinavian that maybe it's in my blood. Maybe the cold is in my blood. Um, the only time I ever spent time in a warmer place, I lived in Florida for a short time and I had the worst sunburns of my life down there. And I'm like, this isn't much fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. And Florida is like loaded with sharks and I'm not fond of sharks. That's a little secret, by the way. I'm, as much as I'm connected and love the ocean, I didn't tell you this yet. I'm scared to death of the ocean. Uh, I struggled down on Nantucket because there's white sharks around there because there's a huge seal population. Um, I did not like surfing alone there. I do surf alone here. But I also had a near drowning experience back in the 80s um, down in New Hampshire on a big winter day. And those two things really reinforced my fear of the ocean. And I'm not always comfortable in you know, either solo sessions or bigger sessions because of those two experiences. But I still force myself out there. Um, I really understand that. I'm a, I'm a pretty fearful person by nature. And one of the things that I love that surfing does for me is, is force me to face my fears just about every single wave I take off on. Yeah, it's, you know, this other aspect of my life, I don't know if you want to get into that, but... Absolutely. If... I always tell people, if I could sum up um, my life with a single word, it would be... <laughs> and you are writing in the uh, steamed-up window, fear. Fear. <laughs> I lived for 50 years in fear. And I let it rule my life. And... In some ways, I could say that I, I missed out a lot on what my life could have and should have been. Looking back now, I wouldn't change any of it because that was the experience I was meant to live. But fear can paralyze you. You know, they always talk about when animals, including humans, are confronted with a dangerous situation. There's the fight or flight um, scenario you either fight or you run. But there's a third one that they don't always talk about, and that's you become paralyzed. I did that for 50 years in my life. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, even with surfing, I have done that. I got into photography originally because I was supposed to go on a surf trip, my first surf trip to Barbados with my, my um, brothers and some friends, and one by one they all bailed. And rather than go by myself, because I was fearful of going by myself on a surf trip to an unknown place, I used the money that I had saved and bought some camera equipment. Mm. And that's what started me in photography. Interesting. And as a consequence, I never went to Barbados and I never went anywhere else of any real surfing consequence. But, um, you know, that was an aspect of fear that I dealt with. Did you take some awesome pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try. Do you want to talk about um, why it was that you lived in fear for 50 years? Yeah, I'm, I'm transgender, and I lived for the first 50 years in another mode, so to speak, uh, which wasn't me, was not my true self. And I lived for 25 years in a marriage that, you know, was doomed from the start. I got married at that time. I was 22, 23 years old. I was 22 and turned 23 a couple of uh, weeks later because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. And again, it's that, that conformity, that pressure to, to live the life that everybody expects you to live. And so I got married and had children. We had three kids. Uh, went through the whole suburban life. I continued to surf, which really probably saved my life because from... And a very early age, um, probably around the same time I saw The Endless Summer at seven or eight years old, couldn't really put a finger on what was wrong with me, but I knew something was wrong. Something wasn't right. 
and you know, I developed various passions to distract myself, to not deal with it because of that fear of what if people find out, what will my family say, uh, what, you know, what will people do. Um, back then, it was very difficult talking to a lot of my trans friends now. Um, a lot of them went through some horrific experiences. I have one friend who was even put in an insane asylum for a time. Wow. And, you know, people are um, beaten, murdered, certainly made fun of. There's a very high suicide rate, and that's what I lived with um, on a daily basis from the time I was not even 10 years old. I dealt with that. These feelings of, I just want to end it. You know, this is horrible. I just don't want to live anymore. And I dealt with that right up until I was out of that first marriage and I finally confronted myself, um, came out to myself, so to speak. Um, I had known it all along and I'd finally, you know, later on in my teens, I discovered what and who I was, but didn't want to face it. So hit it, um, was completely closeted. And the only thing that kept me going were my two passions, surfing and writing. And when my marriage fell apart, I started doing some research on the internet. Again, the internet comes to, to the rescue. And I confronted myself and I was in therapy already. I seen a, a family counselor and I came out to her. She was the first person I came out to. And I got all cotton mouthed and, you know, she was the first person in 50 years of my life. Well, I was maybe 48 at the time that I, I had mentioned this aspect of myself and the thing I discovered when I came out to her was a bolt of lightning didn't come down and strike me dead on the spot. Um, the world did not end. Um, my existence did not end. And she referred me to a gender therapist, um, which is part of the protocols, the standards of care that's required to transition. And you have to go to therapy, and then you have to get a referral from the therapist to get hormones. And then you have to live for at least a year before you can get a referral from not only that therapist, but a second therapist. One of them has to be PhD therapist to get a referral for surgery. And, you know, once the, the egg was broken and I emerged from the shell, I still had a long way to go before it became the full chicken, so to speak, <laughs> um, to follow that metaphor. Um, I'm famous for mixing my metaphors, but I figured I'd stick with that one. But yeah, so, Without surfing, I don't think I would be here. I used to wake up every single day. What am I getting up out of bed for today? Why am I living today? Oh, I gotta coach soccer practice. The kids are counting on me. I gotta go and, I, okay, so I won't kill myself today. And this was a daily occurrence. And I would spend, you know, half an hour, an hour in bed, just trying to will myself to get out of bed. This was more towards the end of my first marriage. I think maybe there was some residual guilt and shame that I was brought up in a Catholic household and even though I didn't follow the church anymore, they put that stuff in your head from birth. Um, and it's a brainwashing um, of sorts, in my opinion. I bought into it all when I was young and then I saw the hypocrisies inherent in what was being said and what was actually being practiced by too many. And so I turned away from it, but I still, I think there was that residual fear that, well, maybe I will go to hell, you know? Surfing kept me going, and mostly it was a distraction. When I was in the water, like I said, you're in the moment. You don't have time for anything else. And you have to be present in that moment and put everything out, else out of your mind. And that's, that's what got me through. And I, uh, I would just get away and distract myself, and it was a constant struggle to distract myself from the the inner self that was trying to emerge and I had an epiphany coming home from a good surf session um, I actually wrote an article about it and an essay about it in the inertia which is a surfing webzine I used to have these feelings on my head that I need to be a girl I need to be a girl and I was out in the water one day and I caught this amazing wave and I paddled back to the lineup and I sat there waiting for the next set and I'm like, see, that's all I need. I don't need to be a girl. That, that's all I need in life is just catch 
one of those waves every once in a while and that's good enough for me. And as I was driving home that day, it suddenly occurred to me, I came over the crest of the hill and the sun was coming into my face, the sun was setting and I'm like, wait a minute. If in that moment of ultimate euphoria and glorious, you know, adrenaline rush from that one wave, you're still having that thought in your head, then that's not all you need. It's a, it's a powerful thought if it's intruding into your, uh, yeah. your surfing bliss. At, at the highest moment, absolutely, it was still there. And so I knew right then. It was still a few more years after that before um, I finally got past the fear. And uh, it was hard. You know, one of the things my therapist told me early on, you have to be prepared to lose everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, no, I mean everything. And at the time she said it, it didn't really resonate with me. But over, over the years, um, during and after transition, it's like, yeah, I lost everything. But like somebody who's depressed, and I was clinically depressed and suicidally depressed, a lot of times when you're depressed in, to that level, it's almost like a cloak of comfort that you can pull around yourself and like, okay, I'm just going to sit here in my depression. And that's what I feel comfortable with. And it's my old soft shoe. And even though I hate it and it smells and it's uncomfortable, it's still comfortable at the same time. And that's what you live with. And you're afraid, once again, fear to, to give that up because you don't know. You're giving it up for an unknown. And what I discovered was that everything I gave up um, was hard. I lost my family. I lost my home. I lost two homes ultimately because um, after the divorce, I got a cash settlement on our home. And I used that both to fund my transition and also to purchase a very small little bungalow, which ultimately I lost um, to water damage and foreclosure. But I lost my sense of place in the community um, estranged from my family, lost everything. But after all that loss, I gained myself. And the interesting thing about that is like, so what is myself? And a lot of my trans friends, they told me that, you know, you're going to give up a lot of those things that you used to think were so important. And, and they would tell me, oh, you're not going to need to surf anymore. You know, surfing was your compensation to get you through the pain and the torment. And I'm like, damn, I don't want to give up surfing. And what I discovered, the true essence of me, Maureen, is I am a surfer. And I didn't give that up because that, from the get-go, was part of who I truly am. And surfing was a powerful influence. It was as powerful as this inner torment that I had and the later um, revelation of who my true self is. And... I was so grateful for that because I am passionate and I love surfing and I was afraid to give it up. And then I discovered I don't have to. It, it is who I am, you know, and, and once it's in your blood, I don't think it goes out. I mean, it's like the ocean that our blood is connected to. It's you either have it or you don't. I, I meet a lot of people who surf who aren't really what I would call surfers. Doesn't play the same role. No, and yeah. that's okay. It's just, for me, I discovered part of my, who Maureen is, is I'm a surfer. And I remember many, many years ago arguing with my father about that. And he says, why do you have to be a surfer? Why can't you just be somebody who surfs? And I'm like, no, I'm a surfer. That's part of my, and I actually said the words, that's part of my identity. And he laughed and he poo-pooed that and he, he ridiculed that, which was very hurtful. And now, you know, I've discovered that there's nothing trivial about surfing. So wonderful. Uh, do you know the character uh, from Greek mythology, Tiresias? 
Not too familiar Tiresias with that one. was both a, a man and a woman. He, well, there was a, Zeus and Hera had a bet, and they uh -huh. asked Tiresias, who enjoys the sex act more, a man or a woman? <laughs> uh, and then the story goes on from there. But, but it's so interesting to me that you have experienced this powerful set of sensations, <coughs> which, you know, mm -hmm. to, to many surfers' minds are, is just as powerful as, as sexuality. You've experienced it as both a man and a woman, uh -huh. and I don't know anybody else who has. <laughs> and I wonder, is is there a difference? Did people treat you differently? It was your relationship with the ocean different? Well, the one, the one caveat to, to any answer I would provide is I didn't really experience it as a man. You were um, always a woman on the inside. Right. And that's a thing that a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around. but. Um, but nobody else in the water knew that for a long time. No, so they and I, perceived I you kept that. Yeah, and I was I was recently talking to one of my um, female surfing friends, which I after after transition I I developed more of a relationship with the female locals, um, and she confided to me that I was a real asshole out in the water, and because I was so hyper aggressive and going after every wave, and you know I intimidated a lot of people, and I'm like. I never felt that. I'm like, is that what I was projecting? And how horrible is that? And that's not what I felt inside, but I guess that's how it manifests. Um, and it makes sense because the relationship I have with my kids, especially, um, I was not a very fun person to be around. Um, and that's to put it mildly. I was angry and depressed and... You know, I took out some of my anger on them, um, mostly in a verbal way. I mean, I, I was never physically abusive or anything like that, I, but I was verbally abusive. I grew up in a verbally and emotionally abusive family. That's, that's the model I had. Um, and I'm not using that as an excuse. It's just that's what I knew, and I guess I projected that um, when I became a parent myself. But that was one of the things that was shed as I transitioned. Um, and I was very fearful, again, fear, how is my surfing community going to react to all of this? And almost to a person, they were all cool with it. You know, they were like, as long as you're still surfing, that's all that matters. Isn't that interesting? You know, and there was a couple of knuckleheads who would, you know, I, I had a, situation where one of the local knuckleheads um and I never really cared for the guy much anyway but he ran me over in the surf one day and then he he gave this rather rather insincere apology and he called me by my old name and I corrected him and he says yeah whatever and I'm like you SOB no not whatever you know respect who I am or get out of my face um, and I just paddle away from him and I haven't spoken to him ever since, but you know, with, with that and a couple of other exceptions, I haven't had any issues with people I used to know, um, before and most of them have been very supportive and, you know, people say I'm a nicer person out in the water and, you know, it's funny because I didn't really feel that I was being the way I guess I was. But I'm less competitive, and I'm satisfied with less, and I give more waves than I catch myself. And I don't know if that's inherently a female thing, but... Um, that's inherently a generous thing. Yeah, and I think the empathetic side of myself and, you know, the more generous side of myself was able to come out. Um, you know, I work taking care of primarily elderly um, but other people who are maybe, um, you know, there's quite a few that are my age or even younger who have physical and mental issues that I take care of. And I've learned that I have a very compassionate aspect of myself and I'm very good at what I do. And I think it's because I've suffered a lot of pain in my life, I'm able to provide them that compassion and that empathy for what they're going through um, and all these things that were repressed before have come out and that's who I am and that's Maureen and 
you know, out in the water, it's, I tried for two waves today and I blew both of them, but it doesn't matter. I was out in the water. I was engaged. The memories that I'll take away from today's session is number one, the wave that you caught. And I was like, yes, she caught a wave. So now she knows what it's like to surf in Maine. And this image that is still in my head of the cleanup set that came and the first wave you turn turtle on and you got the board pulled away and then all I could see was your head sticking up as the second wave came and <laughs> watching you trying to duck under it and before I had to duck under it myself and because I was knocked off my board as well and that was kind of like the essence of it you catch a wave and then you get hammered by a wave <laughs> you know it's snowing now but who knows the sun might come out later you know um, and you just deal with it you roll with it and you flow with it um, Anyway, I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I, I really, I love the, um, when I asked you the, the question about Tiresias, when I, yeah. I asked you, you know, you've experienced surfing as both a man and a woman, and you uh, generously corrected me and said, you know, I was always yeah. a woman. And um, the the thing that, that that I will now take away from today is is just the power of... Uh, of authenticity, the, the power of yeah. recognizing that there are, um, even though we all change over time and, and the, you know, everybody's self is a, is a, is a moving target. It's a shifting, yeah. uh, evolving thing, uh, that, that really there, there are some aspects of ourselves that, you know, that are so crucial to honor and that when you honor that, whatever that authenticity is, that's trying to express itself, um, it, it really does allow you to be a, a better version of yourself in all these other ways. Yeah. Uh, you have more to give. And I'm so grateful that surfing helped you sort of in, in some ways keep an eye on who you were in a non-thinking moment-to-moment way. I mean, yeah. You know, once I went through this process, I thought back on some of the, the lessons of surf, and it teaches you patience. And in a way... Uh, I had to be patient enough to go through what I needed to go through before I was ready. A lot of trans people say, you know, because we get asked questions that are very insensitive sometimes. I had a dentist, a dental hygienist that I used to see every six months. And for a couple of years, every six months, I would have an appointment with her. And she knew me before and she knew me during and after. And she would always ask this one question. We'd be talking about this, that, and the other thing. She liked soccer, so she'd ask me about soccer. But at some point, she would kind of pause, and I'm like, oh, boy, here it comes. And she said, well, do you, do you ever have any regrets, you know, about transitioning? I would always give her kind of a flippant answer. I was like, the only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. And after giving her the same answer over and over and over, it became kind of annoying, and I finally stopped going to that dentist. But that's what a lot of trans people will say is the only regret is I didn't do it sooner. You know, how much of life did I miss out on? But but then I also had the feeling was that I needed to go through what I needed to go through before I was ready. Um, part of this process of my transition, part of this process of my surfing connection is you're always evolving, but at some point you have to discover your true essence, who you are. I'm Maureen and I'm a surfer and that's who I've always been. And for most of us as older transitioners who've been through what we've been through, we don't want to see younger kids struggle the way we did. We want to allow the younger trans population to experience themselves early. but. For most of us older transitioners, you reach a point where it's transition or die. You literally come to that decision. I'm either going to do this or I'm going to kill myself because I cannot live this way anymore. Um, which is interesting to me. I alluded to a, a near drowning I had years ago. I was under the water getting tumbled around and held under to the limit of my breath. And my mantra used to be when I was held underwater, Relax, relax, relax. It'll let go of you. Relax. Conserve your oxygen. Relax. And I went through all of that process, and the wave wasn't letting go. And I'm like, okay, this is not like it usually is. And I had bounced off the bottom and everything else. It was so disoriented, I didn't know which way was up. 
when, I, when the wave finally dissipated and I, there was like a neutral buoyancy, almost at panic stage, so I said, I got to start swimming. And I swam literally into the bottom because I was so disoriented and I didn't know which way was up. So I did a somersault underwater, pushed off the bottom with my feet, and started swimming to the surface. But at this point, I was almost gone. And I made a conscious decision, just like transition or die. I'm going to take a breath. And if it's water, I'm going to die. If it's air, I live. And just as I opened my mouth for air, my head broke the surface. And I went, ah! and then poof, the next wave hit me and I was underwater wow. again. So I got like half a breath. If it hadn't have been for that half a breath, ha half a breath, I don't think I would have come up because oh um, I got that one little half a breath, little gulp that sustained me as I tumbled again. And when I came up, I had the whole tunnel vision, seeing stars and everything else. My board was still attached to the lease. I pulled myself onto the board and I, I forced myself to paddle back out instead of into the beach, which is really what I wanted to do. And I sat out there for like two more hours, too afraid, again, fear afraid to catch a wave and the sun went started going down one by one all the surfers left the water it was a huge huge day probably 15 to 20 feet on the faces I was ill-equipped with the wrong board I should have known better but I was too full of myself as a surfer at that stage I thought there was nothing on the east coast that can hurt me I was wrong um, very wrong but that's how my day had begun full of you know dumb, ignorant pride that I had reached the pinnacle of my surfing experience. And I drove away that day thinking, I am nothing. I am humbled. I am, I don't matter. It's, it's really interesting to me how um, a lot of people hear something like that kind of thought, we're nothing, and they think it's it's an unpleasant thought, but, but it's it can be immensely freeing. Yes. And it took me a long time to, to learn that. At the time, I felt nothing but humility and, and just fear. I, you know, I've never considered myself a, a super radical vertical surfer. Vertical airs are the big thing now with performance surfing. And, and I said the line, I'm more of a horizontal surfer. I, I want to sustain. And I don't know, I mean, bring it back to sexuality. Maybe that's a female thing, you know, where women <laughs> prefer to <laughs> keep things going. Maybe you know? it is. It's that's not that slam bam. Thank you, ma'am. That's kind of right. Thing, oh, you know? that's so it's like, and I never yeah, thought about it. it. Well, I can't help but think that way. That's the way my <laughs> mind works. But it's like, I'm in it for the long ride, not for the, the big impact. But the, I don't know, surfing, it's. It's the coolest thing that anybody can experience. That's that's well, about the size of it. <laughs> that's about the size of it. Yes, I think for uh, you know, it's really is beautiful. Surfers have this intimate uh, connection with this very dynamic medium, natural medium, and surfing's not the right thing for everybody. Uh, but I do think that surfers are a model for a way that uh, connection to the more than human world can really yeah. enhance your life and and help help well, I, guide I it. I was telling Jess last night as I was reflecting on the day we spent yesterday together and then you know anticipating this interview that for so long I lived in that fear that I talked about and people trying to get all of us to conform like there's some prescription for a way of life to, a way to live a life and I that never sat with me it, it was like why why did we do this why did we live the way that we live we weren't meant to sit on our butts in front of a computer monitor, um, disconnected from people. I mean, I worked in one cubicle job where we were not allowed to even speak to our coworkers. Whose idea of, of a way of life is that, to disconnect from each other? You know, one of the aspects that I haven't touched on that I think is a huge thing in surfing, it's not merely about the waves you catch. It's about the people you meet. There's a whole vibrant surf community. Oh my gosh, um, it's, it's so wonderful here too. You Because you are pretty much exclusive to Maine, you wouldn't know this, but I walked into the local surf shop here, Black Point, and uh, they were so good to me. And that is not always the case with middle-aged, gray-haired ladies <laughs> when you walk into a surf shop. Yeah, and I think, especially from the female perspective, and I, I was guilty of it before. You asked about that aspect of before and after. I will say... Uh, and I think it's 
true to some extent, but not so much anymore because there's more women out there in the water. But I was guilty of it myself, of looking literally right through women out in the water. You know, you saw a woman out there, it's like, you know, yeah, okay, I can take off on her. She's, you know, what's she going to do? Cry? And there's still the knuckleheads out there that'll do that. I now have people look right through me. Oh, who's that old fat broad on on the longboard? Oh, I can take off on her. And it's frustrating. You don't only surf in the water. I've got Achilles tendonitis currently. I've had five knee surgeries. Both of my shoulders have been scoped. And I will tell you that um, estrogen is not a performance-enhancing drug. I have heard this. I have lost a lot of ability um, and strength. Yeah, and I've had to adapt. And I'm still struggling with it. I'm getting older, but it's still my passion. And I still am trying to find ways to make it work. I don't know if this is relevant to any of what you're going through, but um, but I have noticed that uh, to the extent that I engage with the mainstream surf media, which is very limited, um, that there is this uh, sort of assumed hierarchy of capacity or achievement that is extremely male in its focus. Mm-hmm. They're interested in what men's bodies at their most adept and most yeah. gifted do. Um, but, you know, for for me, coming into surfing late, one of the things that, that really drew me in was how beautiful female longboarders are. I mean, for, for me, that's the pinnacle of surfing achievement. I'm very much impressed and very much heartened by the greater influx of female surfers because I do think that they bring a certain um, aesthetic and aspect to surfing that Um, has been missing for a long time with this focus on this contest-driven, hyper, you know, aggro, big, bold, dynamic moves, and which is all well and good, but I I take pictures and and I watch surfers and, and I sometimes tell them, I'm saying, you know, take what's offered. That's, that's a, an ethos that is lost in this day and age. It's, Take what the wave gives you. Don't try and impose your your repertoire on every single wave you see as if it's all the same. You're not the star. You're that little insignificant speck. The wave is the star. Compliment the wave. Anyway, that's where I come from. That's a beautiful place to come (laughs) from and head to. Thank you so much for this, Maureen. Well, thank you. And I'm, you know, I apologize again for going on and on when you get me started it's good um, i'm so glad i got you started (laughs) very generous i hope you learned as much from maureen's powerful story as i did to set up a time to talk about coaching a custom retreat or an in-house event to inspire and energize your organization or group visit wavestowisdom.com